everybody. Welcome to the BC Vulture Sports Show. I'm really excited to announce a new project that we are launching with today's episode. Um, 2021 is the 50th anniversary of the BC Vulture Sports Association. And to commemorate that, we are bringing you a series of interviews and episodes with key figures from BC Vulture Sports' 50 years. And we're discussing the key moments and exciting stories that you might not have heard and shining a light on the incredible individuals who have contributed to make BC Wilshire Sports what it is today. Uh, I'm very fortunate today to be joined by um, Kathy Newman and Laurel Crosby um, for our first episode. Kathy Newman is a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame. Um, she's our former executive director. Laurel Crosby is the current president of BC Wilshire Sports and Wilshire Rugby Canada. Um, so they're both incredible people with extensive experience in the parasport world who have contributed so much um, to wheelchair sports, not only in BC, um, but in Canada and around the globe. How are you guys doing today? We're great, thanks. Great, thanks, Nathan. No worries. So to get things started, I just wanted to ask you, because you guys are really some of the drivers behind this project along with myself, um, why is it important uh, to commemorate the history of BC wheelchair sports and to share the history of Paris sport. Well, I, I think it's important to not lose the rich history of the organization. Um, and my experience has been over the years that when we, um, I guess have to say goodbye to people or we lose people in the organization, we lose so much information. So, this is a valuable um, initiative because hopefully we'll capture some of those stories that, that make the organization the, the great organization that it is. And I would agree with that. I mean, there's just so many amazing individuals over the years that we've been involved. And so being able to acknowledge them and recognize them and tell their stories is great as well as looking at the evolution of BC wheelchair sports and sport itself. So this is a great opportunity to highlight this. Yeah. And what are you hoping uh, that the public learns from this project? <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, that, that I hope they learn how innovative wheelchair sports has been over the years, how progressive we have been, how thoughtful, how um, successful we've been. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal when you look back over the 50 years and you look at some of the sports teams, the equipment, you know, the, the level of athletic ability and just see how incredibly far we have come. And I think that's what we want the public to see. Yeah. I think people see BC wheelchair sports and athletes and things like that in the now, but they don't always recognize where we've come from. So I think that's really important. And, and so, so to build, building on that comment too, is some of our current athletes are not familiar with what it was like 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah. So to be able to uh, educate them on, on how far things have uh, developed, I think is extremely valuable as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's something I, I'm really excited about too is because we're at a really exciting time for, for Parasport in this country where we're finally starting to get, you know, the attention and the profile that people have been clamoring for 
um, for years. And I, I think it'll be great to, to in that time where there is a spotlight on it, to actually be able to go back and, and show that, you know, share those stories that might not have been given their due during their time. Um, and I think that's really important as well. Um, now for our next question, it's more about the two of you, um, because on all of the episodes of the BC Wheelchair Sports Show, we always ask our guests how they first got involved in wheelchair sports. So can you tell me how you first discovered wheelchair or parasport um, and what made you decide to get involved with them? And we'll start with Kathy. Well, I think Nathan, we should start with Laurel because <laughs> Laurel has had a longer history than I have. And it was through Laurel's uh, involvement in wheelchair sports that I got involved. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna suggest that we reverse that uh, start to this question. <laughs> All right, that sounds good. We'll pass the mic to Laurel. <laughs> okay. So it was kind of interesting because we've been having these conversations and I, sometimes you really have to think back in terms of your timelines. And so when I thought about becoming involved in sport or involving myself with athletes with a disability, it's actually been 50 years since I started at GF Strong Rehab Center. Wow. So, yeah, so I started in 1971. So um, I started in the recreation department there, at first as a volunteer and then a part-time staff member while I went to university. And while I went to university, I was getting a degree in physical education. So while I loved what I was doing with GF Strong, I was more interested in the sport aspect. So I went to BC Wheelchair Sports and asked if they needed any volunteers. And of course they grabbed me and pulled me in. So I started out actually as a track coach with BC Wheelchair Sports and then was very quickly recruited to the board of directors. Um, so I sat on the board of directors for well, I've been on the board for 40, over 40 years. So, so that's interesting. So I've done lots of different things. I know that you have lots of other questions and a lot of the things that I've done will come up in those questions. But what is interesting is that as part of my role as a track coach, and then I actually became the track and field commissioner, I was responsible for making sure that our athletes had an opportunity to compete and, and get into track meets. So uh, our athletes went to a Langley track meet and there I met Kathy Newman. And oh, so yeah. that was. <laughs> so, so from my yeah, perspective. Good segue so, into Kathy. Yeah. So what happened was in 1981, I was the president of the Langley Mustangs Track and Field Club. That was also the international year for disabled persons. And our track club hosted an annual track meet uh, called the Pacific Invitational. And we decided to celebrate the international year of the disabled and um, invited wheelchair athletes to our track meet. And I, I must admit, Laurel, you, you may have some insight into this, but. I have a feeling that our track meet was maybe one of the first track meets in, in BC for sure, if not Canada, that invited um, wheelchair athletes to participate alongside the uh, able-bodied athletes. So I think yeah. that, was, that was kind of historic. Anyway, so, so I reached out to BC Wheelchair Sports and, and obviously got connected to Laurel as the track commissioner and coach. And that's when we started to communicate. And, 
And then when the track meet was over, it was a huge success. And uh, BC Wheelchair Sports was looking for some new staff people. And I don't know, Laurel, if you asked me if I was interested, I, I think you I might did. have. I, yeah, yeah I, in fact, I think I probably did when we were at the track meet. Yeah. Um, because sitting on the board, I was involved with the staff and all that kind of stuff. So we had an executive director, but we had a gap in the administrative area. Right. And so we had a vacancy for a job. And after working with you for the track meet and all that kind of stuff, I thought, oh, Kathy would be the perfect person for BC Wheelchair Sports. <laughs> And so we haven't looked back for the past 40 years. <laughs> exactly. And, and how would you say, I guess, over the course of those 40 years that your personal and professional um, relationship has developed? Um, because obviously you've worked together on a number of projects, um, not only with BC Wheelchair Sports, but with a number of the, the national sporting organizations in the country. Um, so what's that been like to kind of grow and, and work together for all those years? You know, I, I was thinking about this question and, uh, you know, I think that what's intriguing about mine and Laurel's relationship is that the way I'm going to describe it is we're, we're in sync. We're on the same page. And she and I have spent over 40 years collaborating, bouncing ideas off of each other, challenging each other when it comes to difficult situations, supporting each other. We've seen our, our personal lives, um, families grow, um, you know, just been very, very supportive of one another. And I don't think you get that kind of relationship that often with somebody. And I really value our, uh, our relationship on a personal level and also on a, you know, sort of work level, so to speak. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And and you're right. I think it's not often that you find someone that you are just so in sync with and, you know, you develop this relationship over time that is just such a valuable and important part of your life. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, John said to me, hey, you haven't talked to Kathy this week. Is everything okay? So, you know, we're just, you know, it's it's great to have someone that you can always touch base with. You can always if you need advice, if you need to flesh out an idea or, or something that you want to do, you always have somebody who's there. And as Kathy said, you know, you can have lots of great relationships, but you're not always in sync with the other person. And we, t we feel like we totally are. Yeah. Nice. I feel like that's <laughs> definitely been a, a real big positive, um, you know, for, for BC Wilshire Sports and for the, the Parasport movement in BC and, and across the country. Um, now, moving on from that, moving on from the personal question, we'll, we'll go a bit into things about your careers um, and some of the, the work that you've done with BC Wheelchair Sports. So I know that one of the things that Kathy and Laurel, that you're both really big advocates and supporters of, and that during your times you really pushed and are still very active in supporting today, is um, the importance of event hosting and turning BC into a real destination um, for a number of larger parasport and wheelchair sport events over the years. Um, can you just talk to me a little bit about your views on event hosting, why you think it's important, and then what some of your um, favorite events have been um, over the years? I know that um, Laurel and I were talking about this the other day, and, I, and um, it's kind of funny because 
I, I do believe um, wholeheartedly in event hosting. I think there's so many benefits that that come from it that that I'll that I'll uh, talk about in a minute. But uh, I I I, I was always looking for a chairperson for the different events <laughs> that uh, that we would host and. I don't know, my head would just swivel to Laurel to say, do you want to be the chair of this event? And so uh, we, we worked on a lot of events together. And the very start of it was uh, in 1982, uh, we hosted the BC Games for the Physically Disabled in Langley, in my hometown. And I asked Laurel then to be the chair of the organizing committee. And that was, that was the start of it. And my experience has been that when you host events, there's so many benefits to an organization for hosting uh, that go beyond the um, obvious, the competitive opportunities for the athletes, but the ability to build relationships, build partners, partnerships, access funding sources that you might not have been able to access before, uh, put a spotlight on, on, on Parasport and, and the athletes be able to tell their stories uh share in their successes and and it's just endless so laurel you <laughs> you have a long history of being <laughs> chairperson of many events over the years for sure and i've loved it i mean i just uh it's so exciting to me to chair these events and and you know work our way through to incredible success with them um, for me as well, you know, awareness is a huge part of, of these events, you know, aside from all the other things that Kathy talked about, but I was really fortunate being in the school system as a teacher and then a school administrator to get the school kids involved. So we did a lot of different things to be able to promote that kind of awareness um, within the school system and with kids. And it was, it's, you know, there, there's so many great stories about, you know, the kids who, you know, just are so excited to have athletes come in and talk to them and then to be able to go to the event and see them compete. And um, the awareness within our school district was amazing due to the opportunities that we brought for them. And obviously, and I, actually, sorry, I just want to add to Kathy talked about, you know, the big event, actually, the first event that stands out in my mind that I absolutely loved was our first junior sport camp oh, yeah. uh, at Ray Sheward's house. So I have to tell this story. And I know, Nathan, that you're going to do junior sport and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure, apart from Kathy and I, whether other people sort of have this story. So we wanted to uh, get our juniors involved in a sport camp and Ray Sheward, who was a member of the Lions Club, offered his house in Surrey to be uh, to host a junior sport camp. So this was a great huge house. It had a big long driveway. It had a pond in the back that was stocked with fish. And so this was our opportunity to get the kids out and get them involved. So we we gathered up our kids, we headed out to the junior sport camp, and the kids were great. We did relays up and down the driveway, we did obstacle courses, the kids had an opportunity to fish in the pond, um, and Ray and his club and all the volunteers were just fantastic. And it was just, it always stands out in my mind as kind of one of the beginnings, and I just loved that. So building on what Laurel said, that was the start of um, our uh, attention to getting children involved in, in wheelchair sport. 
So Laurel's being a bit modest here because at the end of the day, it was through her leadership that the National Junior Sport Fest actually was hosted. I'm gonna say back in the, in the 80s, late 80s sometime. And kids came from across Canada and we housed them at Richmond uh, um, High School. And we did a ton of different sporting activities for a week long event. And then, uh, then, the, then the camp was hosted in other parts of Canada. And that was a sort of the start of, of, of making sure that we included children in, in our uh, sport programming opportunities. And we yeah. continue to this day to have junior sport camps. Yeah, so obviously that that really built a very strong legacy because junior programming is such a core tenet of what we do now. And it's such an important thing too. You know, we're seeing like things like that. The Let's Play program is, is really big now, launched by BC Winter Basketball, um, that we're a part of as well in, in some capacity um, where kids are getting involved even earlier than before. Obviously, Junior Sport Camp is one of our big things that we run every summer. Um, I'm an alumni of Junior Sport Camp. I think that was yeah. one of my first introductions um, to the world of wheelchair sports. And I, I also think kind of tying into to Laurel's point, you know, on the schools program is it's really important to get that awareness of um, people with disabilities and wheelchair sports to, to people at an early age, um, because that helps spread, you know, knowledge about what exists and also helps create a broader spirit of inclusion, um, which is something that I think is very important to definitely the three of us and a lot of people within our community. Um, so it's really cool to see how different pieces over time kind of come together um, and, and build into what things are today. So thank you. I, I was unaware of that story. So that was a cool new story for me. I actually don't know. I feel like like starting in a mansion and then ending up as a rec center, it's almost like we went backwards in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, Nathan, if you're going to ask the question um, a little bit later, but I did want to talk about the 2010 games and just the opportunity for, you know, talk about hosting events that was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, great experience. Kathy and Gail did such a, a, a great job, but and as chair, I, I loved all aspects of it. But for me, one of the most valuable parts of it was a schools program in that. So it was the development of the wheelchair rugby uh, schools manual that, that I put together in conjunction with some colleagues, um, but also the opportunity for, for so many children across the lower mainland to be able to come to those games and to be able to observe wheelchair rugby games, but also to observe them knowledgeably. So with the, the, the manual that we put together and, and promoted and you know, worked on in conjunction with demo, demos with the athletes, it was such a phenomenal program. And you know, I think the fact that we were able to involve so many kids in that was amazing. Yeah. And just for anyone who, who might be listening who doesn't know, when Laurel mentioned the 2010 games, um, she wasn't referring to the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, she was referring to the 2010 World Wheelchair Rugby Championships, uh, which BC Wheelchair Sports and Wheelchair Rugby Canada um, hosted at the Richmond Olympic Oval in 2010, and that we'll have uh, a whole episode on on later this year at some point um, because it's definitely one of the the really key events that that we've put on in the past past 50 years. 
Um, so just wanted to put in that point of uh, information there. Um, but yeah, great event and definitely looking forward to getting into that in more depth. Um, go, going forward to our next question, obviously you've mentioned a lot of really positive developments, um, things that have been great, things that have been um, fantastic for all of you. Um, but I think a key thing that Kathy mentioned kind of in her introduction um, when talking about why this is important is um, letting people know how things were 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I think a key element of that is what sort of challenges um, you guys encountered in trying to um, develop wheelchair sports and um, get other people to buy into the events that you're hosting. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about what sort of challenges um, Parasport faced uh, when you guys were first starting out in the uh, 70s and 80s? I, th I think one of the biggest challenges when I sort of took on the leadership role of the organization was around funding and, and trying to ensure that, that um, BC wheelchair sports or you know, e even broader than BC wheelchair sports, but uh, sports for athletes with disabilities were um, given equal funding. So I was constantly trying to convey uh, our, our um, issues that we had with the, with the funding policies and trying to influence change. And uh, I, I think I was successful in doing that because uh, at the end of the day, uh, BC Wheelchair Sports enjoys uh, a significant amount of funding from the, from the various government levels. So I'm, I'm, proud, I'm proud of the work that we did there. The other thing that I think was important um, was around awareness and just constantly conveying that message. And one of the, way, one of the ways I describe it is we often hear people talk about the Olympics and I want to see the day where the world says the Olympics and Paralympics in one sentence. So we would constantly see images of, of athletes um, that didn't include uh, wheelchair sport athletes. Uh, we'd constantly hear stories from the media, uh, you name it. And, and, and even sort of to have representation on official um, communications. So make sure that when, when, when people put together you know, glossy brochures back, like they did back in the day, that there was, uh, you know, representation from a, a wheelchair athlete uh, on that, on those official um, brochures, so to speak. So I don't know, Laurel, if you've got anything else to add to that. Yeah, well, I would agree with that. I mean, I think the evolution in terms of awareness has been huge. And, you know, I, I look back to the years that I worked at GF Strong Rehab Center and as part of the recreational program, we would go to restaurants and out to shopping malls and things like that. And we, at that time, we were such an oddity, like people would stare at us as we were going through the mall with someone in a wheelchair. And if we went out to dinner somewhere, it was just huge in terms of accessibility, you know, where there's stairs in the restaurant, would we be able to get in? And when I look at that evolution over time, you know, it's, it's been tremendous. And I think that, you know, one of the great things that we've seen is that 
wheelchair athletes are seen as athletes first. You know, people recognize the athletic ability and look beyond the disability. And I think that that is extremely positive. But, you know, I would agree with Kathy. I mean, funding is a huge part of it, just in terms of funding the organization, the ability to run programs, the ability to get equipment that is, you know, allows athletes to compete at a higher level. And, and those are some of the issues that, that I think that we've, we've worked on over the years. Yeah. And are there any, obviously, because you guys are still very involved uh, in the world, are there any um, challenges or issues um, that you saw, you know, back early in your career that you think still persist today? Um, and if there are, do you have any recommendations um, or advice for the people who are still working, you know, on the ground and, and working on things like wheelchair sports programs or trying to host events? Well, I think, I think in BC, we have, we have come a long way. And I think because of the work that we have done, um, in building relationships and conveying messages to, to key uh, funding partners and, um, you know, influencers. I think that, I think that we're in a fairly good position, but where I see a lot of inequity is, is in other parts of Canada. And so I think that we need to be mindful of that and be careful in our communication, be thoughtful in, our, in, the, in the way we present our messaging and, and try to influence change where we can and, and get under, uh, understanding. Um, I know that w one example of a policy I was able to influence was around gaming and back in the day when they were just developing the, uh, you know, how you get funding from casinos and, and you know, bingos and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, they had policies that were not really um, reflective of the challenges that uh, sport for athletes with disability face. And so through, um, you know, different communications and, and conversations, I was able to influence the policy at the gaming branch to include uh, um, athletes with disabilities in the youth category, not the adult category that was more restrictive because uh, providing sport opportunities for people with disabilities was more expensive. Like Laurel mentioned, the access to equipment and all that kind of stuff. So that, I guess that's what, what I'm trying to say is, I think we've come a long way in BC, uh, but I, I see a big challenge in, in other parts of Canada. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, as president of Wheelchair Rugby Canada, you know, there are some provinces that are not even represented um, at the national level because they don't have any provincial organization or organized uh, opportunities for for athletes. So I think that that's a big part of it. Um, it's interesting for me too, just in terms of evolution, and we look at the evolution of sport, also to look at the evolution of uh, coaches and managers and, you know, those kinds of individuals over time. And um, I do have an interesting story about my first start in management. So when I was in BC wheelchair sports, I had lots of opportunities to manage teams and chair games and things like that. Yeah. At that time, 
there was um, the, the process of the national organization for the Canadian Wheelchair Sports Association was that every province would have a governor that would go and represent their province at the meetings. And so that was a huge insight for me. I loved doing it. It was great. Um, it gave me an opportunity to see other, other avenues that were available for both our province and for individuals, volunteers who wanted to get involved in a national level. So I um, was really interested in managing at a national level. And so um, indicated that I was interested in one of the games and it was actually in 1984, I was named assistant team manager of the wheelchair team. And so that was great. I was very excited by that. Um, about six months before the games, somebody phoned me up and said, you know, we've had some huge funding issues. And so, you know, there'll be no ability for you to go. There just isn't a position for you. So I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, that's the way things and, go. Sorry, Laura, so was this for the, the 1984 Paralympic Games in New York? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I did not go to the games. And then when I went back to the national uh, meeting, I discovered that someone had actually gone in my place. So oh. <laughs> I was removed and someone had gone in my place. And so it was then I discovered that there was kind of a little bit of an old boys network at the national level. And so I was absolutely determined that this was not gonna happen again. And so fought very strongly to have a process for people who wanted to get involved at the national level in any position, whether it was a team manager, chef de mission, those kinds of things. And so I'm proud to say that, you know, I, I really pushed for that. And, you know, we now have the ability to have a process that is fair and equitable for everybody. Great. And I find it interesting that you mentioned kind of an old boys network at some point in time, because um, you're both women in sport who've occupied leadership roles um, for a very long time, including at a time where there wasn't a lot of women, you know, in leadership roles in sport. And you were doing it in sports for the disabled, which were, again, fighting against all sorts of challenges and issues and lack of awareness, lack of respect. Um, so what was that experience, you know, like for the two of you to kind of assert your, your leadership um, and, and the right to respect? And, and from that, do you have any advice um, for today's leaders? I think I think when one might say we were tenacious in our, in our approach to um, uh, providing leadership. Um, I, I just think, I think you don't give up. I mean, you just keep you keep conveying the message. You do it thoughtfully. You do it strategically. Uh, leadership is another issue across um, the 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 uh, wheelchair sport community and finding that champion in, in the community who's prepared to, you know, support programming and opportunities is, is key. So I don't know, I just, you know, just, just give her at the end of the day. You know? Well, I think tenacious is a really good word because I think yeah. we we're both very tenacious, but I, you know, I think we've been very fortunate over the years to have each other to sort mm -hmm. of bounce ideas off of and, you know, help to move organizations ahead, help to, you know, provide opportunities for us to move ahead. Um, 
and just making sure the right systems are in place, right, Laurel, to to yeah. make to make decision decisions fair and equitable, and uh, you know, choose the right people to 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 make things um, happen. Yeah, and to always make sure that you're you know acting in a professional manner, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know dealing with staff and dealing with um, other organizations, dealing with the government that kind of um, thing brings a lot of respect to the organization. And I think that's really important. And going off of that, I mean, obviously those are, those are great examples of, um, you know, advice and, and things that you've done to, to set a, a strong example and to build, you know, a legacy from that. And part of your, both of your legacies is the amount of mentorship uh, that you've been able to provide to emerging leaders within our community, um, including, you know, a number of our current staff members, our current executive director. Um, so can you just talk to me a little bit about what you view the role of mentorship as in your careers um, and in the broader uh, wheelchair sports world? I think it's our responsibility. I, I, take, I take that responsibility very seriously and, and feel that I have had the pleasure of being involved in BC Wheelchair Sports for over 40 years now. And if I have learned anything along this journey, it is to make sure that I share my knowledge, that I engage with other, um, you know, with new people in the, in the system and support them and encourage them to, to continue to make a difference in what they're doing. I've, I just think it's critical to, to who we are and what we do. And Laurel, Laurel I think is, is, is the same way. Yeah, I would absolutely agree that it's, you know, it is our responsibility. And, you know, a lot of it, I think is also empowerment. We're empowering, I think it's really important. I don't think the two of us ever sort of hold on to something saying, this is mine. And, you know, I wanna, you know, we have to do it my way. You're empowering people to think outside the box, to give them responsibilities, to learn from it. And I think that's a really important part of our role. Uh, well, I really appreciate, you know, all that you've done to kind of, or not kind of, to build, you know, our organization into what it is today and to, to give people opportunities and to share that knowledge down. Um, you know, your, your incredible resources. And even with this project, you've already helped uh, put me in touch with a number of people who I think will make this a really exciting um, feature moving forward. Um, so thank you for that. And thanks for all that you've done. Um, moving back to sport for a minute, um, how have you seen the sports themselves and the athletes evolve throughout your careers? And that's a big question, I know, so. Uh, <laughs> we have to un un unpack that one. Two, two, two things stand out for me, uh, and Laurel, you can build on what I'm gonna say here, but one is the equipment and the evolution of the equipment, and Laurel's already referenced that. But, but I can remember uh, in the 80s um, that that was the start of the introduction of the, of the, new, of the rigid chair. So prior to that, it was more uh, the E and J type hospital chair that was yeah. used. 
and and the athletes would come in and you know take the foot plates off the armrests off the you name it they would adapt the chair to be able to participate in the in the in the practice so the so the chair has evolved massively and then the 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 second thing is um um what the heck was i going to say now I've, I've drawn a blank here laurel you you carry on okay for me i would you know definitely uh uh t technology and wheelchairs and equipment and things like that but also uh in the areas of training which is fascinating to me you know that we have evolved and come so far in training methods. I remember working with Daniel Wesley, training Daniel Wesley in track years, years, right at the beginning. And he was always a real think outside the box kind of guy in terms of his training. So we could work on some basic strategies for the chair, but he, he was one of the first people, I think, to really think about the, the advantages of mental training in sport. And so he and I took a transcendental meditation class together so that, you know, we could both experience it. And, you know, he found meditation to be incredible. That was, a, you know, one of the really good things that he did. He also did some really random things like, you know, drinking a can of Coke right at the start line before he left to see if that made a, a difference in his, his performance. And, you know, he had all sorts of interesting kinds of things, but he was an outside the box thinker in terms of, you know, I'm not just going to get out there and do what I've always done. Like, what can I do and how can I help to make it better? Yeah. And I think we've seen that evolution over the years in terms of training techniques and, you know, the, acknowledging how important mental training is and nutrition and all those other kinds of things. So it's been I think, interesting. Yeah, I think uh, uh, there's been many people in BC that have thought outside the box. And I can remember um, back in the early eighties, Rick Hansen was, uh, was the same as Daniel, always trying to look at ways to improve um, performance and I seem to remember he went back to Ottawa and took his racing chair in a wind tunnel to, to uh, test um, aerodynamics or you know, something like that. <laughs> and uh, you know, came back with some innovative uh, uh, changes. The one thing that I was gonna say too that, 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 that I had lost my train of thought on was <laughs> the fact that Back in the early days, you know, 60s, 70s, and early 80s, athletes would participate in everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so if I, if if you were if you were, for example, part, you signed up to um, participate in the BC Games for the physically disabled, you you could potentially be in about six or seven different sports. And so, I mean, I'm talking. Yeah, archery, you're, you know, swimming, you're, you're racing, swimming, you name it. Yeah. It, it was extraordinary. And that was a very common, common thing. So, so the other piece that's been very interesting is while people do dabble in, in lots of different activities, cause they just enjoy physical activity. Uh, they are very, uh, sport specific in their, in their, um, when, when they want to move forward with a, with a specific sport. And they have to be nowadays. You have to be very targeted in what you do. I would agree with that. And I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see it both at the provincial level, but my, the first Paralympic 
games that I actually attended was in Seoul, Korea. And even in Korea at that time, we had athletes from Canada who competed in more than one sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and as Kathy mentioned, there's just no possibility of doing that anymore. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's interesting because just as you mentioned, kind of professionalism, you know, for the two of you um, when advocating for wheelchair sports um, in the boardroom, it's, it's also kind of seeped over into the athletic arena where it's um, high performance wheelchair sports are so much more professional, professionalized now than they used to be. Um, similar to like Oral was saying with the training, nowadays, if you're a high performance wheelchair sports athlete, you probably have a large team behind you um, of sports scientists, personal trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, the whole, the whole thing. So it's really cool to kind of see that evolution and also see how, um, in, in my mind, the conventional, I guess, able-bodied sport world is starting to accept parents for more. Um, and that's something that's really important to me. Um, and I know it's really important to the two of you as well. So it's been great to see that evolution. And talking about evolution, where would you like to see BC wheelchair sports in the next 10 to 20 years? Oh boy. <laughs> I, I would like to see it a thriving organization around the province with, with as many people as possible actively engaged. So more clubs, more, um, more athletes, more leadership, um, you know, just continue going down the path it's going and, and, and be targeted in its approach to, uh, to be inclusive uh, and get people, get people active. I'm not sure that I could add anything more to that. I, I totally agree. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy seeing the fact that there are so many more clubs that are starting up around the province. And I think that it's really, really important to continue that and to be able to provide opportunities for any athlete who wants to compete, to compete in, you know, in whatever sport that they would like to do. Yeah. And I guess beyond that as well, in terms of what you'd like to see going forward, what are some challenges um, that you see facing wheelchair sports today or that you, you can anticipate um, possibly popping up in the future um, that you think people should be aware of and that they should be taking note of um, as we move forward? I guess, I guess from, from my perspective, it, it's that continued... Um, understanding that in the wheelchair sport community in order to uh, get people involved in the organization or in in physical activity it's it's the it's the need to understand that people need to be supported in the process and that it can be as i often say one person at a time and that's not a bad thing it's just it's just what it is at the end of the day and so we need to recognize the resources that it takes to get people involved and so um, it's having the understanding of what those resources are 
and then making sure that we have the ability to provide those resources. And I think not only for athletes, but also for volunteers as well. So I think mm -hmm. that we need to be very conscious of the fact that we're always, you know, recruiting people and, and doing a really good job in not only recruiting, but retaining volunteers so that we have people that are in our organization that are knowledgeable, um, have expertise and really want to stay in our organization. And I, I think that's with every organization. Um, but I think we have to always be conscious of that. And now I have two final questions before my list of questions for the both of you is finished for today, at least. Um, we may have to revisit some things in more depth at a later date, um, which I'm sure you'll be more than happy to do. Um, but my next question is, if you could go back um, in time and meet um, the version of yourself that was at the first wheelchair sports event you attended, what would you tell them knowing what you know now? Oh boy. <laughs> the fun one, but it's also a deep one. Oh. You want me to jump in? Yeah. It's a great question. I love this question. Um, I had a couple of things. First of all, I, I, would tell myself that, wow, you have such an exciting opportunity, exciting opportunities ahead of you and to enjoy all of them. Um, the one thing that I regret that I never did and I should would have loved to have told the young me to always keep a journal. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty, uh, I, I keep a journal of all of my travels and everything that I do now. But, uh, you know, when we, when Kathy and I have conversations and we start to talk about, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember that? I would love to have had a journal for the very beginning of when I started uh, that recorded everything that I did and event that I was involved in. So that's, that's a cool, that's a cool idea, Laurel. I, I, I hear what you're saying because as we, as we, age in this organization, <laughs> we are often asked, you know, about the history of the organization. So um, I guess for me, one of the things that, that, um, that I would think back on was how very fortunate I was to be involved in BC wheelchair sports and to be grateful for the opportunity and to do the very best I can I could to improve um, programming opportunities, improve um, the system and to um, be thoughtful. Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, I don't know if it leads into another question, but, you know, in terms of why you do this and, you know, I'm not sure from the very first event that we were on that I knew that I would be involved in this for over 40 years, but I can't imagine my life without it. You know, I mean, Kathy and I always talk about the fact that we just can't imagine life without wheelchair sports in some way or another or in some organization or another. And it just brings such a richness to my life. Um, and I certainly appreciate all the opportunities that I've had with, with BC Wheelchair Sports and other organizations. 
Well, Laurel, you did kind of read my mind in a way um, because my next question was going to be, what has kept both of you involved for so long? You know, because you, you've been involved throughout your careers the past 40 years, you're both retired now, um, but you're still actively taking on roles within the community and you're still very involved um, in an advisory capacity, uh, constantly providing um, different people and different organizations with advice when they ask for it. So what is it that has kept you connected to this world for so long? And I think what interests me especially too is that um, for both of you, like you're not individuals with disabilities. You weren't athletes, you know, who were involved. And so what made you want to stick around for as long as you have and continue to do so? I, I think for me, it's, it goes back to a, a bit back to that mentorship question you asked earlier, Nathan, and, and the whole idea that I have been given so many amazing opportunities that it's my responsibility to, to continue to give where I can uh, back to the organization. And, and Laurel and I often talk about it. it it's, it's very weird. It's kind of like in our DNA kind of feeling. <laughs> and and I, I often say to my husband, because he, he's always saying, you know, why do you do this kind of thing? And, I, I say, I can't imagine not doing it. If, if I can't, th th I'm sure there'll come a day where I will say, okay, enough, but, but not, it's not happening yet. <laughs> um, and so if I have something to offer the organization to help advance it, then I will continue to do that. I love the challenge. Well, I mean, come on, who wouldn't, who wouldn't love this? You're working in sport. Like, come on, like, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> it's, it's a passion for, for what we do. And for me, it's also the ability to make a difference. So, you know, we have opportunities, we have experience, we can make a difference um, with people that we work with, with athletes that we work with, at boards that we work with, with policies, all those kinds of things. But we also have the opportunity to to change minds and to promote awareness. Like for me, it was a lot with school children, but also with my family. You know, my kids were born into the wheelchair sport world and, you know, just accepted it as, you know, what we do. And, you know, yes, we all go and volunteer and we all get involved in things. And, you know, I value that opportunity and the fact that I think that it has made my children more thoughtful, empathetic, caring individuals. All right, I have one final question uh, and then we have to wrap things up for today. Um, but that question is, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned by being involved in wheelchair sports? And I apologize because I didn't prep you guys on that question before, um, but it kind of popped up as we were we were having this these past few questions, um, and it's something that I'm really curious about, um, and that I think our listeners and our viewers will be curious about too. I, I think for me, um, it's the importance of being a critical thinker, and to be solutions driven, and. I've always sort of 
uh, welcomed a challenge or a problem that needs to be solved and feel that you need to have an open mind. And as Lowell mentioned in earlier conversations, you know, think outside the box and, and, um, and be solutions oriented. All of those lessons for, for me that I've learned over the years with BC wheelchair sports and national organizations are all of those things that, you know, thinking outside the box, accepting challenges, being a critical thinker, all of those kinds of things. And I always remember going to apply for my first um, administrative position and talking in an interview about all of the skills that they demanded for that administrative position that I'd actually learned from BC Wheelchair Sports and other national organizations because, you know, having the opportunity to coach and manage teams and be on a board and doing all those kinds of things gave me skills and opportunities that I would never have had the ability to learn anywhere else, you know, from books or school or anything. And so I value that so much. Awesome. All right, well, that wraps up all of my questions for today. Um, I'm sure we'll have one or the both of you on um, for a couple other episodes when we go in depth on a few specific events um, or a few topics that you've referenced um, throughout this interview. Uh, I just really thought it was important to start things off you know, with the two of you um, as two of the people who are really helping me push this project forward um, and two people who have made such significant um, contributions to BC wheelchair sports and really um, the broader parasport world. So um, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. I definitely enjoyed myself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, really Nathan, Nathan, thank you for all the work that you're doing and making uh, sure that we capture the rich history of uh, BC wheelchair sports. So we, uh, Laurel and I really appreciate that, right, Laurel? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we really do. Brilliant. Good job, Nathan. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.